So, you know, oftentimes when you try something new, uh, something that you've never done before, it feels awkward. Uh, it feels different. Um, maybe it's, it's a different style of, of clothing or maybe new food or something new often isn't familiar. And when things aren't familiar, I don't know, uh, they often feel like something's wrong. This morning's teaching for many of you might feel unfamiliar. Uh, it might feel like something new. It might feel like, can this be right? Uh, because uh, I haven't thought about this. I haven't processed this. Uh, this is different than the way I thought or maybe even the way I believe. Uh, for some of you, it might be new because you just haven't heard it from before. For some of you, it might be a little bit different than what you've heard growing up. It's interesting, we call this class KC Essentials, and I thought about it on the way over here. What you're gonna to hear today is not an essential uh, that will get you into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it's not something that is gonna be uh, the, the line you cross over to say, you're in or you're out. I mean, we know that that by God's grace is if Christ is your Lord and Savior, that is so important. It's, it, it's a distinctive. We are talking about really distinctives today. And what, what is the distinctive that, that we are teaching here? And why are we teaching this? So, and even say, why is this important? So let me start by saying, it's important because this comes from God's word. And with God's word, we're looking for God's glory. And what we realize is that when we examine like good Bereans in the Bible, God's word, and we want to get to the truth, we realize that living out that truth is going to give him the most glory. So this is important. Um, it is the deep end. Remember, it won't get you into heaven, but uh, it'll probably give you extra blessings along the way. No, okay. So, uh, <laughs> right. so we are talking, this is the second week of something called the doctrines of grace. And the doctrines of grace is really uh, the study of soteriology or the study of salvation. How is it that we are saved? How does the Bible tell us that we obtain this incredible salvation in Christ alone. How we could be forgiven our sins and robed in Christ's righteousness. I mean, that we could go from children of wrath to children of blessings. And so, what the scripture is going to clearly teach is that salvation is of the Lord. And it's so beautifully of the Lord. Our salvation is entirely from God. Uh, and our salvation is de entirely dependent upon God. When you start looking at the biblical equation for how God, the eternal God, has loved sinners like us and how he has moved us from children of wrath into beloved children of the king, we're going to realize it is all dependent on him. It's on his grace, on the work of his son, the application of the Holy Spirit. And we start to examine something very beautiful in this doctrine. It is it takes all of God to save all of us or all of his family or the elect. And we're also going to see today something really beautiful that the scope of salvation... This is important. Listen to this. Well, this is this is this is really interesting. That the scope of salvation is going to be equal in the Father's part, the Son's part, and the Holy Spirit's part. Each has a different role, but we're going to see that that they all fit together in perfect harmony, like our God always does. With this, we're going to see that the, the God, the Father, is the, with the initiation. That incredibly, the Holy God who is is a merciful and loving God. And he loves sinners. Go figure. And so he would love us so much that he'd give us his very best. He would send his own son to come and to rescue us. That he who would believe in him would have eternal life. And he does it at the time where, well, while he demonstrates his own love for us, and while we're still sinners, uh, Christ would come and die for us. 
He didn't wait for us to get better. He didn't wait for us to deserve it. If he did, he never would have come. And so um, we see that all things are by the Father's initiation. It's by the Son's execution uh, that, that he is the one uh, who has fulfilled the plan. Um, there, there's a cool, what, what theologians would say that happened before time began is there was an agreement with Father and Son to come and rescue. It's called the covenant of redemption, uh, his people, that Jesus would be put on flesh, that the eternal God would become put on flesh and, and walk among us. Um, and he would come to rescue us. It would be his righteous life, his atoning death, his powerful resurrection that gives us life. And then it would be the Holy Spirit's application that he would apply the, the love of the Father, the work of the Son to our lives. He is the one that would give us faith. He's the one who would give us ears to hear. He's the one that would remove our hearts of stone and give us uh, uh, hearts of flesh. So when you talk about the, uh, the uh, doctrines of grace, it also could be called the five points of Calvinism, in which uh, for many it's a cuss word. Uh, but we see really this is the gospel in a flower. It's a gospel in a tulip. Um, we've looked at total depravity, unconditional election. And this morning we're going to focus on what is this limited atonement, this irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. And so, again, this is specifically dealing with our salvation. How is it that we are saved? This morning we're going to focus on this limited atonement. Uh, and we're going to uh, move from God's plan to redeem uh, the, his, his unconditional love for us, God the Father's, to Christ being sent to accomplish that redemption, that atonement, that sacrifice. And we're going to unpack what it means to be a limited atonement. Uh, for the Galatians 4.4 will tell us, For in the fullness of time God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us and, and, uh, and set us free and make us his beloved children. I love that, born of a woman. Why does it say Jesus was born of a woman, not of a man? Kind of interesting. He has to be born of a virgin. He has to be sinless. He has to be spotless. Why is he born under the law? He's God, so he can fulfill the law, magnify the law for us. Um, and the issue that we're going to really look at this morning, and this is one that maybe you've never wrestled with, for, but for whom did Christ die? Um, for whom did Christ die? So many will say, well, Christ died for everybody. He, he came and he, he died for the world. So he so loved the world, isn't that? And the, world, the, the word world and all, and we'll examine some of those things. So, but when you think about limited atonement, and again, we're going to come up with another name for that in a minute. All Christians, all I'm going to, I'm going to say all Orthodox Christians, all those who believe the Bible, um, that would fall into the orthodoxies, limit the atonement, uh, or they would believe in universalism. The universalism is a belief that all are saved. Now let me hit pause. If we believe all are saved, why did Jesus come? Why was there a cross? Um, you know, why is there a message to repent and believe? But the Bible teaches the reality that there is a hell. There are those who, who are not a part of the family. There are those who do not believe. There are those who have rejected Christ as Savior. So the question is, um, if there is a hell, uh, and if everybody doesn't get in, the atonement some way, Jesus' sacrificial uh, uh, death on our behalf, behalf. If, if not everybody's in, somehow it's limited. So somehow it didn't work for all or, or something. So who is it? So the question is, who is uh, the atonement, how, how, or how is the atonement limited? 
Is it limited in its power to actually save all? Or is it, it its effectiveness as some are not saved? Is it, is it limited in its power? Did Jesus work on the cross? Is there, is there limited power that, gosh, it just wasn't good enough or strong enough to save all people because all aren't saved? Well, we would say absolutely not. I mean, it was never limited in its power. He came to seek and to save sinners. He did it. And on the cross, he says, it's finished. And, and that work is powerful enough to, to, to rescue and set free any sinner. So maybe we got to look at limited in its purpose. Who was it for? Its intent or its design? It actually was for saving the elect. So this teaching in a summary will be this that Christ came to seek and to save his own. He laid down his life for his family. Those whom before time began, the Father has called to himself, he loved. Those are the ones that Christ says. Remember he says things like this, the, the ones the Father has given me, I'm going to lose none of them. They're all going to come. And so he is going to the purpose that he would come and lay down his life was for his family. So that was the ones, it, it was limited in its scope of who um, he would lay his life down. So it may sound like it's limiting the redeeming love of Christ, but his teaching doesn't uh, do that at all. Um, rather than viewing salvation as a possibility, depending on man's response, it views salvation as a certainty for all those given by, by, to Christ by the Father, the elect. So let me, let me unpack this for you. This is so important. If Jesus Christ hung on the cross and he hung on the cross for all of humanity, every man, person, woman, child who would ever live, and he said, I am offering to you uh, salvation. This is a gift that everybody I'm going to lay my life down for. I'm going to give you the possibility that you are saved, the possibility that your sins are forgiven. But the possibility is that you have to respond to this. You're going to have to choose this. You're going to have to pick this. So the power is no longer in the sacrifice. Think about this. The power isn't in that he died for to really save their sins. He only died for the possibilities that their sins might be saved. And the power is no longer in the blood. The power is now in the choice. And the choice is now in a man who, by the way, by himself is dead in his trespasses and sins. And he's the one who says, I'm going to accept it. Therefore, it would be powerful for me. But we would have the view that, no, 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 uh, it's, it's, he didn't make salvation possible for all. He made salvation determined for his own. I mean, he accomplished it. It is finished. It didn't say, hey, this is a possibility. It's a possibility now. Now now all could be saved. Yes, Alfred. It would be socialism of Christianity. Well, in, in many ways. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It would be socialism or universalism. That's so when, when he came, I want you to know, every drop of blood that Jesus shed for our sins. Not one drop of blood was wasted. Not one drop of blood was shed on those whom would never respond to him. So how could he shed blood on those that would not respond? He didn't die for the possibility that our sins would be forgiven. He died for the reality that our sins are covered and we are forgiven in Christ Jesus as his children. That is what this is saying. He, the power is not in the possibility. The power is in the reality that he laid his life down for his people. It was certainty. Yes. And that would be the sovereignty. Yeah, for sure. And now throughout this, 
Alfredo, you're right. The sovereignty of God over all things is a bedrock truth in the Reformed theology. It's a bedrock. We believe that God is alone the creator of, of all things, and he alone is the redeemer of all things. And so, so this to me really started to make sense. When I started to embrace this as an adult, when I started to get wrestled with this, uh, it really came, did he waste his blood? I mean, was, was his blood, was it just a possibility? Did he say, hey, if, if, if you're, you know, uh, uh, able, and none of us are because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. So um, maybe a better name for this is particular redemption or definite atonement. It's particular that Christ came to save his sheep, his elect, his church. It was very specific. I've come to seek and to save the lost. You will say, well, aren't we all lost? Yes, we all are. But he came to look for his lost sheep. Or it's definite atonement. It's not just limited, it's definite. It's not just a possibility, it's a, it's a reality. So really, this is going to answer the question, for whom did Christ die? Well, Scripture is going to tell us that he died for the elect in John uh, 6, 37-39. Now, in the light of time, I'm not going to read through all these things. And so if you have notes, if you want to write these things down and go back, be good Bereans. Let me hit pause. Don't believe this because I tell you. Believe this because it's scriptural. Right? Study scripture. Um, and, 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 and look into God's word. And so I'm going to give you some tools. For whom did Christ die? He died for the elect. He died for his people. Uh, give him the name Jesus. For he will uh, sacrifice his people from their sins. He died for his friends. Here we are in John. John 15 in the upper room. Jesus would say, I lay my life down for my friends. Um, he dies for the church. Um, this is uh, in that famous Ephesians 5 passage where it's husbands and wives. Husbands, love your, your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her, for specifically for his people, for the bride. Uh, he, uh, whom to Christ, the many. He gave his life a ransom for the many. In uh, John 10, the good shepherd, uh, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. It's very specific. Those whom the Father before time in some mysterious way set a, a, an electing love upon. Those are the ones the Father gave the Son. Those are the ones the Son says, I'm going to come and rescue. Those are the ones that he would lay his life down for on the cross. Not just providing the possibility of salvation, but securing salvation through his death. Christ's death secured the salvation of those whom he died. Why? Because he was crushed for our iniquities. Our, as his folks, as it was prophesied in Isaiah. God made him to be sin for us. I mean, he didn't become the possibility of sin becoming uh, forgiven uh, because of the cross. Jesus became our sin. I remember the first time I went to Jerusalem, and we got in at night, and we stayed at St. Andrew's, uh, a beautiful uh, hotel, looking out over the city. I know that Doug and some others might have been in that hotel. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it's a fabulous little uh, Scottish hotel. Um, and I remember looking over Jerusalem, and I remember feeling overwhelmed like I had been here before. Now, I'm not talking about this weird time travel or another life kind of thing, but the reality, according to Scripture, is that Jesus became my sin. That my sin hung on a cross 2,000 years ago there in Jerusalem. He bore the he bore the penalty for my sin at that point. I know that never because he was made sin for us. 
He became a curse for us, Galatians 3, 13. Curse is anyone who would hang on the cross. Um, our certificate of debt against us was canceled by having it nailed to the cross. A great little passage out of Colossians 2, which says that he, he dismantled the, the authorities of the world. He, he mocked them. He mocked the powers of the world by, by nailing it to the cross as his son. Think you think you won? I won. You know, our plan succeeds. Sinners are going to be forgiven. Salvation is going to be given by God's grace because of what Christ has done. Um, and, and listen, he nailed a debt that uh, was canceled on, on, the, uh, on the cross. I used the analogy, I think it was in the afternoon class last week, that uh, if, if Bill Talby uh, said, hey guys, listen, I'm really loving this class. Um, I'm going to take you to lunch afterwards and we go to the Metro Diner and we order and I've seen Aravi order before it's going to be a hefty bill so, um, <laughs> and, so um, and when we get the bill and Bill's, uh, Bill gives him the, his credit card and his credit card goes through this time and so it's good and so uh, and the bill has been paid um, you know if the bill's been paid we're, we're not going the manager's not going to run out after us and saying hey by the way you have a debt here, you, you know, who's going to pay for the, the lunch? A bill paid for it. He, he paid for it. And so if, if the manager went and said, Alfredo, well, this is, this was your, your, what you ordered. You got to pay for yours. He said, well, no, no, that, that, that debt has been paid. The debt has been canceled. Uh, we have a receipt. The receipt says that it's been paid in full. And so the manager has no right or no authority to say, well, you owe this. So let's think about that. If Christ died for our sins, if it was the reality of our sins on the cross, the debt has been paid. No time in eternity will the Father say, well, you owe this. It's been done. It's finished. It's been paid in full. We have been forgiven and free. Rejoice. Do a little dance. I mean, right? Yes, there I'll tell you. I'm seeing this. I'm like, for the citizens of Christianity. Yeah, for sure. For those. Um, um, so the cross, now this is just so important. The cross didn't make salvation possible for all men. The cross saves. Christ didn't make redemption a possibility. Christ redeemed us. You see, you see the difference? That's what this whole teaching is saying. It's not just a possibility for everybody. It's a certainty for his own. Because if he died for everybody, he didn't die for anybody. And he died for just the possibility. There's no power in that. And if, remember, total depravity is true. If we are dead in our trespasses and sins, if he died for the possibility, dang, we're, in, we're up the river because we can't do it. So salvation is all of the Lord. Now, um, so let's, let's go back. Let me show you one more thing. If, if, uh, if it is true, if Ephesians 1.4 is true, better be, that before the foundation of the world, God chose us, chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. If the Father said, okay, these are the ones, I'm going to love them all, but these are the ones I have a unique love for. These are my own. And uh, Jesus says, yeah, but you love them, and I'm going to die for them all. And so all of a sudden, the scope of Jesus' ministry is outside the bounds of the Father's ministry. Does that make sense? So here you have the Father before time comes says, I'm going to uniquely give a love to these. These are going to be my own. Jesus says, these are the ones that you gave me, Father. These are the ones that I'm going to come and lay my life down, my sheep. And guess what? These are the ones the Holy Spirit we're going to get to. 
are going to make to be able to understand. So with that, the, the, the irresistible grace part is the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, when the outward calling of the word, the gospel, is accompanied by the inward calling of the Spirit, whereby the sinners as a result embrace Christ by repentance and faith. That's kind of a, and this is what irresistible grace is. Why did you come to Christ in the Billy Graham crusade? Why did somebody next to you not come forward? Is it because you're smarter, wiser, better looking? We know all those things about you, Robbie, and we love you. But by God's grace, what happened through that incredible servant of God, Billy Graham, faithfully preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit was at work in your life. And that Holy Spirit was working in life because you know what, Robbie? God loved you before he created anything. He loved you before he created anything. And long before you were gleaming your father's eye, Christ laid his life down for you. And now it was the Holy Spirit's job. And now when you sat there and you sat there in that auditorium or that, that citrus bowl or whatever it was called back then, and you heard the good news of the gospel that God loves sinners like you, and you got your butt out of there, and you went down and you embraced Christ as Savior. You did it. You embraced Christ as Savior, but only because he gave you the ability to do it. Because he was present there. Yes, sir. Did you want to say People something? People say, how, how did you know to do that? <coughs> okay. And I responded very simply. I just couldn't continue to sit there. Yeah, isn't that amazing? That's a great, great example, which is fantastic. Um, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, Paul will write, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you uh, for your sake. First Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5. Uh, this Paul is writing, hey, you know, the gospel was preached. The word was preached, was preached with power, power with the Holy Spirit. So. Um, by the way, I'm going to throw in uh, a slide here. This is dealing with the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's taking these theological standards and it's really trying to, to, to give us, uh, this is a catechism of questions and responses, but I think it's helpful here. It asks the question, how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The Spirit applieth to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us. The Holy Spirit's job. Hey, this Jesus, let me give you the ability, the, the, the power to believe, to have faith, and thereby uniting us to Christ in our what's called effectual calling. Now, effectual calling, this is a this is a theological term given to what happens when you're saved, what happens with the Holy Spirit. Well, the effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, where this is what God's Spirit does, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds to the knowledge of Christ renewing our wills he the holy spirit does persuade and enable us to embrace christ jesus freely offered to us in the gospel that's so beautiful it's basically say listen the holy spirit's going to come work on your heart and he's going to give you by god's grace scripture will say this a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone he's going to give you uh, 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 the ability this is called conversion conversion he's going to regenerate you he's going to make you new so that all of a sudden like wow uh Christ is freely offered in the gospel. Now, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, for the first time, we'll have a new nature, and you will freely and joyfully embrace Christ as Savior. Uh, let's keep going. All agree, no one would disagree who's, who's not an Orthodox Christian, that man must exercise faith to be saved. We're saved by God's grace through faith alone and Christ alone, right? So the question is, 
Is faith ultimately man's contribution? Or is it man's response to the work of the Holy Spirit in his heart? Now here, this is where most people will go one way. They'll say, hey, salvation is great. God loved me enough to send his son. The son came and died for me. Now my job is to believe. So what I'm adding to the equation is my faith. I'm going to say, I believe in this. Now let me hit pause and say, yes, you do. But is that the first thing that happens? This is going to say, really, no, your, your faith is a response to the Holy Spirit in your heart. You, we have faith because he has moved in that effect, the irresistible grace and given us that. We believe because we're enabled to believe. Um, that, is, that is a beautiful reality in John 1, 12 through 13. He's the one who gives us the ability to believe. And when we have that ability, he will say, anybody who calls on the name of the God, the, God, the Father, and the Son, we will be saved. So the question is, but did isn't we... That, isn't that the only way? And I say it that way as I know the answer, so I do it throwing it out as a question. Would not you, couldn't you boil it down by somebody receiving uh, what they perceive as God's grace with head knowledge and really not heart knowledge? Sure. And 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 the difference is of what we just what you just put up there because oh yeah God I know that I know that yeah but do you really know it yeah have you been you know you could be convinced but are you converted I mean really converted because it's a gift where, and if you don't accept the gift yeah. what have you got and you know he, he's saying what the, the irresistible grace is basically going to say is you can't even resist the gift because. God's grace and love is going to be so much. When the Holy Spirit comes on, you're going to say what you said to Billy Graham. I, I couldn't sit there any longer. Yeah. I couldn't. I, I had to. <laughs> there was something that was so strong in me that I, I got to go. And so, uh, um, so didn't I decide to come to Christ? Is a question that we are often asked. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt you did. If you're a Christian, you definitely decided to come to Christ. No doubt about it. You exercise faith. Absolutely true. So maybe make sure you understand that. I'm just curious. Um, as far as faith, you know, you have to have, Jesus has to, or God has to influence your life in order to have faith. Right. Do you believe that God gives certain people so much faith, or do you believe that over time, once someone is... It's a know, good question. Do you believe their faith can grow? Of course. Sanctified? Yeah, absolutely. Sanctification. So I would say you can't have saving faith without God's grace and enabling you to do that. Absolutely. And I, you can't be saved without that. Right. Um, and you can't be saved without faith. And so, but, you know, uh, the thief on the cross certainly knew very little. Uh, and we all are, are, are being sanctified, growing, growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so that's that sanctification process. Um, great question. If you had, if, if God had not first worked in our, in our hearts, in your hearts, you never would have believed. Um, who can? No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit, unless the little God draws him. Right? That, that's what that John uh, six forty four. We get hung up here because our believing was all we know about at the time. Hey, wait a minute! I crossed the the Rubicon or whatever that. <laughs> I crossed over the threshold. I mean, I went from not believing to believing. This is what I did. And uh, again, I want to say yes, you did. But you never would have crossed here if God didn't enable you. And once you got enabled to do it, you're going to freely and joyfully do it. You're going to do it. He's going to give you a new nature. Um, but the Lord is the one who has to open up your hearts to respond. This is, uh, this is out of the book of Acts. And if you look at the book of Acts, there's uh, 
It's Lydia's conversion, Acts 16, Lydia's conversion, and the Philippian jailer. And what does God do to, to Lydia? He opened up her heart. Here was a God-fearing woman, somebody who believed in God, hoping in the Messiah. Oh, she came to faith. How did that happen? God opened up her heart. She's like, oh, this, this Jesus, he is the Messiah. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12, 22. He's the one who starts it. He's the one who perfects it. Um, and, and faith is a gift from God. Philippians 1.29 will say, it's been granted to you, it's been gifted to you, not only to suffer on his name, but also to believe. Even faith is a gift given to us. <clears throat> so most Christians see faith as our initial step in salvation. Um, and it is a step in our salvation, but it's not the initial step. It's a response to God's gracious work in our spiritually dead hearts. If total depravity is true, unconditional election must be true. And if that is all true, we have to have a gracious God who works in our hearts so it gives us this. Remember, salvation is of the Lord, who sovereignly drew you to himself. The initiation rests with him. It doesn't start with your faith. It starts with his grace. You know, don't, don't put yourself in the beginning of this stupid train. Um, we merely respond to his grace given to us. Some great verses that are there. Uh, Ephesians 2.8, Romans 3.24, Titus 3.7. For those of you who I didn't get a chance to say, this should be on our website. Go to uh, kingschapelfl.com backslash essentials, and I'm going to make sure all the classes notes are there. And by the way, it's also on our podcast. Every one of these is on our podcast. If you missed one, you want to share one, you want to go back and listen again, they're all there. Um, and then the P, uh, the last part of this is the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints is this golden chain of salvation is not broken. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says this, uh, whom he foreknew, he has predestined, he has called, he has justified, and he has glorified. And those two little things right here say that the Greek tells us that this is past tense, which is absolutely incredible to me, that he has called me to himself before time began. He has declared me not guilty in Christ Jesus, and he has glorified me. Yes, Jeremy's right. We are going to be sanctified, and we're going to grow in our grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But our glorification, the one day sin will be forever removed from us. We will be not only, we will be no longer able to sin. Oh, hasten the day, Lord Jesus. Um, our glorification will come. Um, and that, that is a promise he has for us. God finishes what he starts. He who began the good work in you. Stop right there. Who started the good work? He who began the good work. He is going to be the one who's faithful to complete it. So the question is, are you going to make it home because you're good enough, you're strong enough, you've endured enough? Or are you going to make it home because his grace is sufficient enough? I'm telling you right now, I am 55 years old and I've been a Christian for 51 years. I've been in the ministry for 30 years. And I'm almost every day of my life thinking, if it was up to me, I'm going to ruin this whole thing. I mean, I cannot believe what a knucklehead I still am. I'm, I'm telling the truth. I, my flesh is no better today than it was when I, the day I was converted. I am still a man who's prone to wander and go the wrong way. But by the grace of God, there go I. But by the grace of God. And, and, and it's uh, and I'm not hoping that I'm going to be good enough. I, I, I am resting that his grace is sufficient and so um isn't that good news i mean just we can't we can't forget this 
Um, why can't this golden chain be broken? Well, because the Father's immutable will is unchangeable will. All he gave to Christ, uh, Christ will not lose any. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The finished nature of Christ's redemption by one offering, having perfected them. This is probably my favorite scripture passage. And it says this, through one sacrifice, he has perfected, perfect tense, has perfected for all time, those who are being made, um, the imperfect is still going on, holy. So because of the sacrifice of Christ, I am, we are declared not guilty, we've been made perfect, and we're being made holy. It seems like an oxymoron. Why are we still knuckleheads? Because we're not glorified, we're not home yet. Uh, he's still working with us. But in Christ Jesus perfected, um, and we are being made holy. The effectiveness of Christ's intercession, they are saved forever as he lives to intercede for us. The sealing work of the Holy Spirit, they are kept by the power of God. Some verses there for you. Um, the issue is this, as not a Christian lose his salvation. We are people of God's own possession. All right, listen to that. Okay, right? So here, this is so true. Can we lose our salvation? Well, for God's possession, the real question is, can God lose us? The Christian. No one can be snatched out of his hands, Jesus says. We are protected by the power of God through faith. It's God. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. So we are going to make it home by God's grace and his grip on us. Let that set you free. What about those who profess Christ and turned away? Um, I will say, uh, can a Christian backslide? Absolutely. Think of David and Peter. Why? Because of the attractions of the world, the indwelling sin, temptations of Satan, neglecting the means of grace, which is like um, the Lord's Supper, uh, hearing the word, preach, prayer. Uh, not all professors are possessors. This one, this one really scares me. We talked about this. Matthew 7.21 says, There'll be those at the end times who say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these, in, in these great things in your, in your name? He says, Depart from me. I never knew you. Hey, you might have had some kind of pro profess, but you didn't possess. You might have thought because you were baptized as a baby or you got confirmed or you went to church or something like that. But listen, the question is, is Christ truly your Savior? Um, <coughs> I, I, I got to really kind of hurry. I, I know I'm, I'm just throwing things at you. So we affirm the complete spiritual impotence and our, our inability of man uh, our original contribution being our sin, we are totally depraved. The absolute sovereignty of God's grace and salvation, he saves us from beginning to end. Um, that, that's, that This is going to be uh, uh, the T and U, the, the ULIP of God's, uh, how he saves us, the unity of the Trinity, um, accomplishing our salvation. Remember I told you, these are the ones the Father has set a special love on. Those are the same ones that the Father, that the Son has come to rescue. Those are the ones the Holy Spirit is going to apply this. The Father plans, unconditional election. The Son accomplishes, particular redemption. And the Holy Spirit uh, plots, irresistible grace. It's a beautiful thing. It takes all of God to save all of us. And it takes all of them working together in a beautiful harmony, like our Godhead always does, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even for our <clears throat> salvation. Um, this is going to be the last thing I'm going to throw at you that's going to be new. And I, I'm going to take what we just learned, and I'm going to tell you um, the Ordo Salutis is what, what happened first in your salvation. Remember, you're not going to be asked this when you get to heaven. But this is going to be something very important for us to understand because it helps us understand how is it that we are saved. Well, there's a general call 
uh, somebody shares the gospel. They're then, if the Holy Spirit is there, there's the effectual calling, which is regeneration. Our heart of stone is removed. We're given a heart of flesh. We are made born again. We are made new in Christ Jesus. Then comes conversion through repentance and faith. Uh, then comes the justification declared not guilty, adoption into his family, sanctification and glorification. This is what we see biblically taught as the order of salvation. Now, what's the difference? Most people will put gospel shared, my conversion, then I was regenerated. That's where, it, that, that's where the difference between those who were reformed and those who are Arminian when it comes to salvation is what happens first. All right, did you have faith and repent? Did you have faith and repent? Repent and have faith and then you're converted? Or did God give you the grace, the ability, the ears, the Holy Spirit working? You're regenerated, then you have faith and repentance. That's the difference. And I tell you what, if that's going to be determined how you see salvation. I didn't grow up believing this. I believe that I heard the gospel. I provided the, the repentance and faith. I was converted. These things happen. And read the Bible clearly said, no, the gospel shared. The Holy Spirit applies it to my life. I'm given the ability to hear and respond. I'm made new. I, by God's grace, uh, repent and believe. Um, is it true that every Christian limits the atonement? Um, so I say if you're a true Christian, if there is a hell, everybody has a limit. How do you limit? Uh, what is limited about the atonement? It's not the power. Uh, it's the scope. Who should have the authority to limit the, uh, that? Should it be man or God? Um, why is it important to understand that even faith is a gift from God? Because we'll sing Amazing Grace. Uh, why is uh, the theory of losing one's salvation only defensible in a works righteousness salvation? If you can lose your salvation, it's not all by God's grace. It's by works. It's something you can do. Uh, why is it important to the Ordo Salutis? It gives God glory. Helps us know what our contribution is. <laughs> I have 30 seconds for questions. <laughs> 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 Sorry.